Woo. That was such wonderful worship. Thank you, Jesus. Second Chronicles chapter 18. So we're going to spend a little time today. And I'm not going to start there. Um, but uh, I'm going to end there. And then um, actually, I'm going to have you grab Genesis chapter 11. Which we're going to read a little bit out of as well. Good morning. Did you all know that this week is gospel from? Uh, just come upon us. Three people are excited. That's good. The rest are just counting the cost. Counting the cost. Good. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord knows high. Okay. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and for all the things that you're doing in us and through us and with us. And we're so grateful for you. So grateful for you. So grateful for you, God, and so hopeful. Because of the great promises that you've spoken over us and the wonderful things, God, that you have prepared for us. And so desiring, God, that we would know you and be close to you, not stray far from you. Thank you for who you are, for what you're like, for the promises and possibilities that you've made available to us. I'm really grateful for you. And I ask God that this morning that you would touch us and change us and help us and mold us and make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. Um, good morning. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, so uh, we talked yesterday, are there members of the, this, it's okay, just quick catch up. Um, I, I want to talk to you today about the power of your will and how to shape it and um, the importance of, of uh, um, having a will that's in alignment with God, okay? All right, so um, your soul has three components, your mind, your will, and your emotions, yeah? And your will is the decision-making part of your soul. All of your decisions, all conscious decisions that you make run through your will, Duh. that's by definition, right? There's nothing uh, unusual about that. What uh, may be a little unusual is that people don't necessarily understand the power of their will, and how important it is. I've told you before that the will of God is the most powerful force in the universe. It bends everything towards it. And uh, God has given, when, we, when um, we say that we have free will, what we mean is that we, we have a certain ability, like God, because God has made us in his image, to have a will and, uh, and then to be able to, to do certain things in accordance to it. But in the long run, like you, can't, you cannot overcome God's will. No one can. And he will accomplish all of his purposes. All, all the things that he desires, he will accomplish. Do you know? But um, the most powerful thing in your life is actually your will. Did you know that your will is more powerful than, um, oh, I, I want to be careful how I say this. Did you know that your will is more powerful than the work of God in your life? Like in the sense that you can deny God the right to work in your life by exercising your will. And also in the sense that anything that God does in your life can, can prosper and grow as a result of your will. That's pretty incredible. In the book of James, as you know, it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Can you just think about like what a crazy thing that is? 
resist is an exercise of your will. It's not an exercise of, um, you're not doing push-ups. Like, you know, like you're not, you're not, like, you're not swinging a baseball bat. Like, it, it's not, it's an, ex resisting is an exercise of will, of your willpower. And the Bible says that resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The devil has no ability to overcome your will. That's crazy. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? That's very crazy, right? I'm not crazy. Crazy is not the right. Like, is that is that wonderful? Is that not wonderful? Is that like that's wonderful? Is it not? And so, if you learn to exercise your will, uh, it, it's just it's a very powerful thing. Um, we talked about soul power yesterday. A lot of soul power comes from an exercise of the will. A lot of it comes from just your ability to control your will and to shape it. Uh, because what you will typically will get accomplished. Well, Disney used to say that if you can imagine it, you can have it. Um, and, uh, you know, that is a um, not, not, not like, th that, that is a, uh, a demonic twist to a truth. Because your, your, your goal should not be to accomplish your will. Your goal should be to conform your will to God's will, understanding, though, that in conforming your will to God's will, that is an important, a very important part of, of walking into the calling and the desire of God for your life. Um, it's not very likely at all that the calling of God in your life is accomplished by him dragging you along. You know, it's like, I don't want to do this, but, you know, God's just like, come on now. You know, you know like a dog on a leash, you know, just come on, let's go. Like, I mean, okay, like, it's just not likely that God drags you kicking and screaming into heaven. You know, it's like, like I don't want to go to heaven, but, but God's like, no, you're coming. Like, it's, that's not likely. Is it likely? Not likely. Do you think that's what's going to happen? It's not what's going to happen. And so if you want to accomplish God's will, you need to conform your will to his will. That's one of the first and most important steps in in walking out the life that God has for you. And and it's something that only happens intentionally. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens only intentionally. Does that make sense? Your will is so powerful that God is actually very concerned about the exercise of human will. Genesis chapter 11 is, is the fall of the Tower of Babel. And I want you to, to see uh, in context how powerful your will is. Um, you may not... Um, let's go ahead and read the story and then let me, let me give you my um, interpretation of the story. Okay, it's not really, I mean, I, hopefully it's just straightforward, but here we go. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, they have one language, and there's, this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. That's out of the lips of the mouth of God. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Is that crazy? That's, that's like an unbelievable statement that God said. The, the, the united willpower of the men of the earth in that day, which is not that many people probably, I don't know, hundreds of thousands maybe, I don't, maybe a few million, I mean, it's not nearly like the population of the earth today. This is um, a few generations after the flood. I, I, don't, like, I don't know how quickly Noah's um, family repopulated the earth, but, um, you know, but it, it was not that many people. They were building one city, and it's like, you know, uh, and their, their combined willpower, by their combined willpower, they built this tower, and then God came down and said, okay, this is not good, this is no bueno. And, and, and then the statement that he makes is, un, is unbelievable. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Is that amazing? 
That's amazing. That's the power that God has put in your soul. It's not spiritual power. This is the power that he has put in your soul that you're able to exercise if you choose to do so. Seven, come, let us go down. And there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Um, okay, uh, this is a very important story. There are a lot of Christians that chase unity as an idol. And when you chase unity as an idol, do not be surprised if God uh, acts against you because human unity united in human will contrary to the will of God is an offense to him. Several times in this story, when the people begin to act, they say, come, let us do this. Come, let us make bricks. Come, let us make more. Come, let us build a tower. That phrase, come, let us, do you know what that is? That's an exercise of will. And then later God says, come, let us go down there and see, come, let us confuse him. When, When the Bible says, come, let us, that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit taking counsel together and coming together in unity to exercise their will. And these humans do the same thing, absent the counsel of God, removed from the counsel of God, they come together in unity to exercise human willpower. And God, listen, God's not threatened. It's, it's not that God is threatened. It's that God is against humans acting together in the, by the power of their will contrary to the will of God. Does that make any sense? Not make any sense. Okay, great. And it's like, it's incredible that God actually acts against man in this case. And he purposely disrupts and, and destroys the thing that they intend to do together. Because if God were not to intervene, they would accomplish that thing that they intended to do. And therefore, God intervenes in destroying and, and, and nullifying the thing that they desire to do. Okay? So, it, like, the power of your will cannot be understated. And, and that's why, like, it, it's, it is very important that you understand your will. It's very important that you learn to exercise it. It's very important that you take, that you, that you, allow it to be in submission to God. Because otherwise, you're going to set yourself and be like, I'm the most famous scientist ever. Like, that may not be God's will for you. And if that's the case, the power of your will is actually strong enough to propel you in, down that path. But if it's not the power of, if it's not the will of God, there may be a, a certain point where it comes against you, not in judgment, to, but, but because your will is so powerful, God acts to nullify that power so that you don't accomplish that thing that, that, he, is not, that he is not desired for you to accomplish. That's like a pretty powerful statement, you know, that God needs to take action in order to avoid the consequence of us exercising our willpower in a way that he doesn't intend for us to exercise it. It's pretty incredible, you know? It's pretty incredible. All right, there are three things. Three is like a pretty important number in, in, in God, I don't know if you realize, okay? There are three components to a lot of different things. There are three things that, that comprise your will. You ready? Okay, number one is your desires, Number two is your reasoning. And number three is your trust. Three things. And these three things come together to formulate what your will is. Your desires, your reasoning, and your trust. Okay? And there is a way in God for these three things to... uh, to harmonize and to work together. As an adult, you have all three of them. They all function very properly in your life. You have the capacity to trust. You have the capacity to reason. And you have the capacity to have desires. 
True or not true? Okay. Nevertheless, there is a way for them to work together and it is the will of God for you to understand and for me to understand how they work together and then to, to cause them to function properly together. A very significant type of brokenness in people's lives is that they do not have all three of these things. And typically, the thing that you do not have is trust. You, pretty much everyone, like, like you, you have reasoning. There are some people that don't have any reasoning. There are people that very likely have been abused their entire life or have just been told their opinion doesn't matter and that, you know, they, and so they've never been in a decision-making capacity, never have formulated that reasoning. They just get dragged along like a slave. Like, you know, that, so that exists, but not really in the demographic that you are a part of. There are times and places where you're going to encounter someone, they've been in a lifetime of abuse, and, and they have never formulated independent reasoning abilities. They can't make decisions. They cannot weigh outcomes. They cannot weigh advantages, disadvantages, strengths, weaknesses. They can't weigh the value of different things, and, and that exists. But you can't, like, you can't. If you can walk into a grocery store and decide between apples and oranges and bananas, like, you have reasoning ability. Do, do, do you understand? So, like, that's not you. That is some people, that's not you. Um, okay? Um, all right. Uh, pleasures, or d desires, in this case, are just innate to you. You have them, you know? And uh, there doesn't need to be that much said about it, uh, at least today, because there's no challenge, really, to understanding the fact that you have desires. Um, we should harness our desires, desire the things that God wants us to desire, but, um, but you have them. The more difficult thing that most people don't understand is the nature of trust and the significance of trust. And uh, it, it's, it's a very difficult topic. Um, uh, so I want to talk to you about that today. All right. Uh, in Genesis chapter three, um, uh, talks about the fall of man. Okay. I, I, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to read it, but I, I, you remember, you know the story, correct? God put Adam and Eve in the garden. They said, he said, all the trees in the garden you can eat, all the trees in the garden you can eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Okay. And, uh, and then the serpent comes to, 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 them, uh, to Eve and says, um, sure, the God said you can't eat the tree. And she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, because on the day that we're going to eat it, we're going to die. The serpent said, you're not going to die. On the, when, when, you, when you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like God because you're going to be able to see the difference between good and evil. Do you know what that is? It's the ability to reason. It's the ability to reason. Have you ever wondered why? You've heard this story many, many times, surely. Have you ever wondered why it was a sin for them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Other than, I mean, it, it, it was a disobedience. That's the sin. The sin is the disobedience. But you ever wonder why God didn't want them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because trust comes before reasoning. And you cannot be allowed to reason if you do not know how to trust. And men fell because they wanted to reason when God wanted them to trust. These three capacities, do you know that, like, that, that um, children develop, like, uh, they don't develop everything at once. You, hopefully, you, you know that. Like, they, it's, uh, like, when babies come out of the womb, first of all, they're disproportionate. Like, they're, they're not, um, it, was, it was very interesting, because I studied the history of painting, and at the beginning of, um, at the in the very early days, like in the 13th century, in the 12th century, when they painted children, children were just miniature adults, the, 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 the same proportion as an adult body, but just small. 
And uh, it was, you know, pre-Renaissance when they figured out, wait a minute, no, 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 no. You, you, if you paint an adult small, that's not a child. That's just a small adult. Children have completely different proportions, you, you, you know? Their heads are just enormous, like, relative to an adult. And, their, and their, their arms and their legs are, like, short, and they're stubby, you know? But they're cute in that way. And I remember, like, when our kids were first born, I, in fact, like, Micaiah, I, I don't know if now if he can, like, exceed, you know, like, you have a baby razor, and it's, like, it's here, you know? It just doesn't go above their head. This is one part because their head's so big, you know, but the other is just that their arms are like really stubby and really short. And do you know that that's God's design? Because if their legs were longer and if their arms were longer, they could reach a lot of things and, and it'd be harder for parents to take care of them. They don't know what they're supposed to reach out for and uh, God doesn't want them reaching for that many things, you know, when, when they're that age. And, uh, and their head is like, is really big um, because they need to be able to eat and see and there's a lot of important things for babies to do that, that they do with their heads and not with, you know, the rest of their body, they kind of poop. <laughs> like, you know, it's not that, not, just at the beginning, there's not that much that they do with the rest of their bodies. And so their head's really big and the rest is, uh, you know, they poop. Um, and it's easier to take care of them when, you know, their arms are shorter and their legs are shorter. They can't go anywhere. They can't run that fast. And so you can catch up to them more easily and, and all that stuff. And do you know that that's God's design? That's not like some, some abnormality of, of evolution. That's actually God's intention is design. Because when you don't know how to use your hands and your feet, you shouldn't have very long ones. But as you grow, your, your arms and your legs, they grow faster than your, your, your head does, obviously. And the proportions begin to even out as they, as they get bigger and bigger, right? I mean, you've seen this. If you've seen children grow, you've probably seen this uh, perhaps uh, in yourself. If you looked at you know, baby pictures, you're like, oh my goodness, my head is so big. Thank God it's a normal size now. Well, I can't say that. But the rest of you can say, thank God my head's a normal size now, do you know? In the same way, God is, God is uh, given every human a will. You have free will from the moment that you were born. You have free will. But your will actually is intended to develop um, the different components are intended to develop at different times. When you are born, the very first thing that God gives you, and the only thing that you have is trust. You have nothing else. You have no ability to reason and you have no desires. The only thing you have is trust. When you're an infant and, you, you, and God has placed you in a family with a mother and father, all you have is the ability to trust them. That's it. If your mom gives you uh, milk to drink, you don't ask if it's water. You don't ask if it's, ask if it's honey. You don't ask if there's lemon juice in there. You don't, like, you don't know, and you don't have the ability to reason. You don't know, and you, and you don't need to know, and you're not supposed to know, and your, your parents have the, the opportunity to harm you if they wanted to, but, and God has created that. You're entirely vulnerable to them, but that's the way that you learn trust. And everything that you give and you eat, right, until like, you're full, and, 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 and that's it. That's all you have. That's all a child has is trust. After trust, when they're uh, usually a few years old, they begin to develop desires. I can't remember when it happened for Eliza. Maybe she was like two and a half or something like that. She began to say that her favorite color was blue. That's a desire. It's a, it's a preference. is a form of a desire. And, and that's not something she had when she was younger. That's not something that babies are just born with. They don't have that. There's no, even though you may you know, want your girl to wear pink and your boy to wear blue, like they don't have any sort of consciousness of that sort of thing. Eliza wore a lot of boy clothes when she was, uh, she was little um, because they were just cheaper on eBay. And, uh, and, um, and so we, we, we bought her a good amount of that and she, didn't know, she had no preference and she didn't know anything about it and she didn't care and she was just happy with what she had. It was, I don't know, probably three or four years old, she all of a sudden decided she wanted to wear dresses. <laughs> you know, and then that's all she wanted to wear. And her grandma, um, Esther's mom, bought her dresses and then she wanted to wear dresses. The, the, she, and she began to form desires that were consistent with who God made her to be. Desires are not evil. Desires are something that God has given to you. 
Do you know? You have a preference for different foods, for different flavors. When you go to the ice cream store and there's 25 different flavors, you have desires. You desire certain flavors, you desire not other flavors. And you may not desire ice cream at all, but then what's wrong with you? But you desire certain flavors and you don't desire other flavors. And that's, that's part of your will. You're exercising willpower in that. Does that make any sense? But willpower comes second. Uh, sorry, desires come second. And then last of all comes reason. It's the last thing to develop in a child. They don't really begin to reason until, like, uh, you know, fairly, fairly late. Um, uh, people will disagree over this, and also children develop differently, so there's no way to actually, like, quantify this. Um, I don't think Eliza's particularly reasonable now. Uh, you know, she's more reasonable than she was when she was a baby. But, like, if you say to Eliza, um, here's $50, go to the grocery store and buy, buy groceries to feed the family this week. She has no ability to go in there and, like, weigh, you know, the cost of kale against the cost of spinach. And we have to balance spinach and carbs and carrots and apples and ice cream. Like, she goes, I remember taking her to the grocery store. She's just like, I want ice cream. She doesn't care about anything else. I'm like, I, I, I got to get some oranges. I got to get some tomato sauce. I got to get, you know, some sausage. I got, you know, and she's like, I want ice cream. Like, it just, there's, there's, like, even now, she doesn't doesn't have the ability to, to reason and to make those decisions. But when you make decisions, you apply reasoning ability, right? Let's say that you were going to buy, um, it, it doesn't matter what it is, a, a vacation, a car, uh, um, a choose a school to go to. You, some of you, depends on who you are, create spreadsheets, right, Danny? You, you create spreadsheets and you weigh the costs and you research different costs. And if you're taking a flight, you know, when does it leave and when does it land and how long is the layover and what's the price and is that worth it to me? Like, there's, a, there's an entire process that happens in your mind where you reason and you come to the right outcome, right? Is that, am, am I right about that? And that doesn't come until like fairly late, like in life, I mean, relative to the others. It doesn't come until like, until fairly late. Do, do, do you know? It's the last thing that you develop. And because it's the last thing that God desires for you to develop, because if you want a right relationship with God, it's actually the least important thing that like in having a, a right relationship with God and having a right relationship with other people and having a right relationship overall and being a part of God's kingdom. Uh, and yet, you know, for a lot of you, that's the only way you know how to make decisions. You've been taught that all of your desires are of the flesh and you don't want them. And you've been taught that people can't be trusted and you don't want to trust anyone because you're the most trustworthy person around. And so you don't trust anyone and all you have is reason. And you don't realize that when all you have is reason, you're actually a very broken person. You think that you're some mature, enlightened, you know, like if super intellectual, super mature, super wise person. You don't understand. You're deeply broken. Two out of the three legs of your stool are gone, completely gone. And that's not the way that God has created you to be. It was a, the sin of Adam and Eve was to choose to want to reason when all God wanted them to do was trust. That was the sin. And the reason that it's a sin is because it is a serious and grievous mistake to live that way and to believe that this is the will of God for you. It is not. It is not. The person that you trust or the thing that you trust in life is what determines your ultimate success and failure, not your ability to understand things and figure things out. In Psalm 20, verse 7, David says this, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but... We trust. Who do we trust in? The name of the Lord. That is his confession. It's not a confession of his strength. It's not a confession of the size of his army. It's not a confession of his military genius. He says, no, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. Who do we trust in? The name of the Lord. 
That's what determines the success of the king. The Psalm 20, if you remember, is a cry from David to God. God, save the king. Save the king. Who's the king? Him. <laughs> him. And he's like, God, save the king. Save the king. Save him from his enemies. Save him from his opponents. Save him. And then he says, at the end of it, this is his confession. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Not me. Trust in the name of the Lord. And, and that, above his military capacity, above his leadership gifts, above his righteousness, above his knowledge, above his understanding, above his prophetic gift, above everything else in the world, is what grounded him in a right relationship with God. Wherever God took him, he trusted that it was the right place to be. When God took 25 years to put him on the throne, he wasn't like, God, you anointed me, I'm on the throne. He just, he trusted God and had that kind of relationship with him. That's what grounded him in his relationship with God. Does that make any sense? All right. In Psalm, I think it's 11. Uh, again, it's David. He says, um, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's a, it's a fairly deep problem when you think about something like this. The ability to trust and the ability to, to uh, have correct um, godly desires is deeply foundational to you and it impacts every part of your life. But what happens if you never develop that in life? You gotta tear everything down and rebuild it. Like, it's very difficult. Just imagine if like, you built a building without a foundation and you get to like the third floor and you realize, oh, we forgot the foundation. There's a building in San Francisco, I don't know if you've heard of it, um, where they, they messed up on the foundation. They, like, the engineers calculated the foundation. They thought that it was a you know, certain stability, certain density, certain depth, and things like that. And that's like a 50-story tower. It's meant to be, you know, glass, guys, the whole thing, a billion dollars, the whole thing. And then after they built the whole thing, it began to lean. And, and, and they were like, oh, no, no, leaning is normal. Leaning is normal. And then after a while, it began to lean so much, like on the top floors, you put a co can of Coke. Um, these are people who pay $20 million for their apartment, you know. You put a can of Coke on the counter, it just begins to roll. And they're like, mm, I don't think this sort of lean is, is good. <laughs> this, is not, this is not good. Like, you know, and then so they went back there and people were suing the developer and all this stuff. And, and so the developers are trying to figure out a plan to fix the foundations of the building without tearing the building down. I mean, it's a nightmare. They have to drill all around. I mean, it's it, it, engineering-wise, it's just impossible. They go down and try to reinforce and put in new pylons and try to, you know, remove this one and put it back in and they're calculating the risk that the entire building will fall and people are like, give up. Just tear the whole thing down. But like, it's a billion dollars. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal to build a building very high with, with, with poor foundations. It's, it's, David's confession is correct. What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? And, and that's the problem, right? That's the problem that a lot of people see, a lot of, uh, of believers see with our culture today is that the foundations are being torn out. And if the foundations all together get torn out, like what can we do? What can we do when our schools are corrupt, when the police force is corrupt, when the judiciary is corrupt, when the laws are corrupt, when all of government is corrupt? At some point you throw up your hands and be like, I, I, I revival doesn't even fix this. Like, like what? Like, you have to go and completely redo the foundations of a culture and of a society. And usually, that's how empires fall. Because the foundations just get wiped out from underneath them, and 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 then it just the whole thing collapses on itself. But what is very difficult is in a human life when the foundations of your will. You see, your will is what determines which direction you go in in life and how your life turns out. But in a human life, if the foundations of your will are destroyed or if they were never formed, and you just begin to build on top of it anyway, like, do you understand how devastating that would be? How devastating it is. And so it's very important for you to pay attention to this and for you to understand what are the foundations in me? And are they aligned with the foundations that, that God desires for me to have?
Make sense? Second Corinthians chapter 18, let's read the story. Whoop, nope. Is it this one? No, it's not this. Where is this story? Fourteen? Fourteen, sorry. Second Corinthians chapter fourteen. It's Chronicles. 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 Not Corinthians. Chronicles. Fourteen. Okay, here we go. I'm not going to read the story because the story of Asa is pretty long, and I'm going to actually focus on chapter 16, okay? In chapter 14, uh, do you, you guys remember Asa? Asa is like one of the great kings of the Old Testament. He's really an important guy, but he's, he, he, he falls in a way that is, is, is uh, fairly tragic. At the beginning of Asa's reign, uh, this Ethiopian warlord comes against Asa with um, Zerah, the Ethiopianite, came against Asa with a massive army. And Asa is greatly outnumbered. And do you remember what Asa does? Asa goes to the Lord. In verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 14, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against him with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marishah. A million man army in the ancient world. I mean, can you, a million army, you can't see, like, it's the horizon. Um, Reinhard Bonnke had million man um, uh, crusades. And um, when you look at the videos, you're like, where does the people end? I mean, it takes them 50 acres, you know, to, of, of ground that they have to, I mean, it's a massive, massive operational thing for a million people to gather together. And, and Zerah, the Ethiopian, who was a very competent military commander, evidently came up with a million men to come destroy Asa and his empire. That's nuts, right? And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines at, at Zarephath at Marsha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God. He said, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against us. Asa understood that his victory was not in his ability to command his army. It was not in his ability to figure out a strategic campaign, the way to do it right. He came to the Lord and he said, O Lord, the victory belongs to you. It does not matter if I'm, if I'm outnumbered. It does not matter if I outnumber my enemies. That's not the point. The point is that I trust in you, oh God. Do you see, this is the most important thing for a person to develop in life. You need to get to the place where your trust exceeds your reasoning. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asin, before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled and Asa and his people who were with him pursued him as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell, until none remained alive, and they were broken before the Lord and his army. Then the men of Judah carried away very much spoil. There is a fallacy in a lot of Christian thinking that says that trust is something that just happens to me like gravity. Like you win me, and then I just eventually, I just naturally begin to trust you. Nonsense. It is an exercise of your willpower. You choose to trust God. God does not impose it upon you. He, it's not like, oh, this, the presence is so heavy on me. I have no choice but to trust him. It's not work like that. You choose to trust him. In fact, what God does sometimes is that he pulls himself away in order to give you free will. And in that vacuum, have this ever happened to you? Like you're in a place of desperate, desperate, desperate need in life. There's something that's just going tragically wrong. And you're like seeking the Lord and you expect the presence of the Lord to come. And you're expecting glory and angels and breakthrough and miracles. Like any moment now, any moment now, it's all coming. And what has happened instead is you just feel like a void a vacuum, a loneliness. And, and you're like, what is going on? It's because trusting God 
It's an exercise of your willpower. It is not an emotional experience that you have with God. It's not the same thing as getting into his presence and being like, oh, I just enjoy this so much. What a wonderful thing. You have that too, but that's not the exercise of willpower. And faith requires that you actually choose to have faith. It's an exercise of your trust in God. True or not true? So in that moment when everything is going wrong, God doesn't be like, presence, angels, blessings, glory, fire. Like, it's not like that, you know? Sometimes we think it's, you know, that's what it should be like. It's not like that. Sometimes God will just give you a little bit of room, and in that place, allow you to choose. I will trust in the name of the Lord my God, and that's how the victory comes. It's, it's not, it's in part, it's that God is coming through for you, but also in part, it's the, it's the power of what he's put in your soul to accomplish the things that you've determined to accomplish by by training your soul at something. And what are you training your soul? At the power of God, by placing your trust in him. Do you know? It's just like pointing your, your, like, your will towards him. Like, God, I trust you. And that is the, the opening for the miracle to come into your life. That doesn't happen, though, if you're in the midst of that, of that emotional experience. And so he just pulls away and lets you choose. Are you going to trust me or are not going to trust me? And he, it, it, that's the choice that Asa had. Asa stood there in his army, and, and, and it wasn't like, you know, the prophet came and gave him a word, and all Asa, if you would just worship the Lord, he's going to save you. It's not like that. Asa had the opportunity to exercise a choice, a choice in his will. This is part of his will. I'm going to say, I will trust the Lord my God. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't know how this is going to happen. It doesn't seem possible to me, but I'm going to trust in the Lord my God. And do you know what happened? God delivered a victory to him. Second Chronicles, flip another chapter, 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to come in or to go out to Asa, king of Judah. And Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who lives in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Yon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the storehouses of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all of Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, which Basha had been building, um, with which he built Geba at Mitzvah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Not that many places in the Bible where it says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the earth. And what does the prophet say? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are right towards him. What is a heart that's right towards him? It's a heart that trusts him and does not trust another above him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. Then Asa was angry this year and put him in, in, in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. I, it's just foolishness. Like, God's against you, so you're going to imprison the seer? Like, what, what does that do for you? Other <laughs> than make God more mad at you. It just doesn't make any sense. Okay. What Asa has done in his last days, in his early days, he faced a massive army and he decided to trust God. What he did in his last days was he faced a huge army and decided to use his own reason to figure out the best way to get rid of the army. 
And using human reason, he said, what? I have gold, I have silver, I'll pay off the ally of the king of Israel. I'm gonna pay off the ally, that ally will become my ally. He's gonna go and mess with him, and then I'm gonna be free. And do you know what? He was right, he was successful. That's exactly what happened. The king of Syria stopped his alliance with the king of Israel and pulled away and then began to terrorize the, the, the land of Israel. And because of that, the king of Israel had to stop his, his offense against Asa and because he had to go take care of him. And, and it was a mighty victory for Judah, but God was not pleased with him. God was not pleased with the victory that he got. Why? Because he trusted in his reason rather than in the Lord. He trusted in his ability to work diplomacy rather than in the Lord. And there are many times where we are tempted to do this in life. We trust in our ability to be a good employee. We trust in our ability to come up with a good product. We trust our ability to write good essays or go to grad school or take good tests or, or, or study a lot so that we can get a good test score. And, and there, it's not that there's something wrong with studying or working hard, not at all. Please go and do it, you know? But you cannot ever get to the place where God is offended at you because you have begun to rely on your reason, your reasoning rather than on trusting him. There was a reason why. He, he, he gives birth to you. He raises you in such a way that you have trust before your reason because in that place, you can see trust works. Even without reason, trust works. And for everybody in this room, you were in a place in life at one point where you were totally and completely vulnerable to others. You could not feed yourself, you could not bathe yourself, you could not wipe your own butt. True or not true? Absolutely. And in that place, trusting others worked. You may have not have the best parents in the world. Maybe you were raised by your parents at all. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe, but, but the fact is that it worked. Like, you did not have to take care of yourself. It worked. Somebody took care of you or somebody's took care of you. And, and, and maybe you weren't born in a great family. Maybe you were passed between grandparents or aunts and uncles. Or maybe you spent time in a foster home. It doesn't matter. The fact is that God used people and brought you through this long way and raised you and to show you what? That trusting others works. Even if they're not perfect, God stands behind those things and he causes his power to be exerted in your life in such a way that trust works and it works much better than your reasoning does. And you have to be able to do that without just calculating. Without calculating. The most important relationships in your life are the ones where the devil begins to go after your trust. The second year that I was with Iris in uh, 2012, I was there to do, to, to work with them. And there was a man that had been invited into part of their ministry. He's not, he was not an evil man, but I had to work with him because he was uh, just doing like operational things and I was working on some things. And, and so we worked together and spent you know, some late nights together and he was an older guy and he just began to sow like seeds of doubt into my heart about the people, about the leaders. And you just say, did you know that, that Heidi exaggerates in some of her books? Do you know that like this story, I talked to the person and I don't really think that story happened that way. Do you know that there's like money that's stolen out of the treasury? Do you know that like these drivers, they go and they use the trucks and they do their own business and Iris doesn't even have an account of it? Do you know that the ministry doesn't get an audit? Do you know that like, you know, these are just like, like these like fairly like small things, you know? And he wasn't necessarily wrong in those things. Like he could have been telling me totally accurate, totally factual, does that make any sense? He could have been telling me like complete, and to this day, I don't think that he was necessarily making those things up. I don't think he was telling tr the truth about a lot of that stuff, just like the devil came to Eve, and he wasn't lying, you know? It was true. When she ate the apple, she began to recognize the difference between right and wrong. She could see that she was naked. 
She began to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The devil did not lie to her, but the devil told her certain things that were not right for her because what was happening is that the devil was asking her to reason rather than trust. And what this guy was doing to me was he was asking me to reason and to evaluate the ministry and the leaders, especially Heidi, who was leading at the time because Roland had to mention he wasn't that active. Um, but Heidi was, and, and she was growing leadership and she was not perfect. Do you understand? Like, and there were legitimate complaints about the way the ministry was run and, 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 and all that stuff. But the problem is that he was, she was trying, that, 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 and I don't even know that he was doing this intentionally or that it was out of a bad heart or anything like that. I think he was just trying to do his job and being overwhelmed by the challenges that he was facing and doing his job and just wanted an outlet to talk to somebody about it. But what was happening nevertheless, despite what intentions, despite, I'm not accusing him of being a demon, you understand. He's just being a human, right? But, but and I don't think he was a bad guy. Like, like, you know, he was a good guy, a Christian, a lawyer, and all that stuff, very competent, very educated. But, but nevertheless, what he was, ha- was doing was he was eroding, he was eroding my trust and asking me to reason and to reason this is not a great ministry and you shouldn't really be involved here and this is not going to work out and God's not going to. And you don't understand, that's not, at the end I concluded after I worked there for a little, I was like, at some point I, I realized the only reason this place survives is because God wants it to continue. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. There's, there's no accounting records. There's no receipts. Money just goes in. There's no, like, it, is, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I don't understand why the walls don't come down and why the trucks are not all stolen. And I mean, there's just so many, and people, you know, they'll hire a driver who has a criminal background. He'll come and just steal the radiator out of the truck and the truck is broken. Now, $10,000 trip. I'm like, how does anybody run this thing? I mean, they're building houses. You know, nobody has a plan. So they just start building. They realize, oops, <laughs> we built that wall to the wrong place. And like, let's tear it down. And let's rebuild. I'm like, oh my God, there's $50,000. How do you do this? How does a ministry survive like this? Because God wills it to because there's something in the hearts of those people and especially of the leaders they're not perfect people you understand there's so many weaknesses but that's all of us treasures and jars of clay that's all of us and the temptation is to go and be like why don't you you're so smart you can see this why don't you just reason now and understand, oh, a terrible ministry. This, this is like, God's not going to survive. This is a fraud. The whole thing is a fraud. They're lying to their donors. They're, lying. they're not lying to anyone. They're just imperfect, terrible humans, like all of us are. Like all of us are. And the more you see, the less you trust. If you've trained your reason to be the, 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 like, you know, your, your, your radius, like, yeah, people are like, I have a BS filter or a BS sensor, you know? Uh, yeah. That, that, that means that you don't have any good relationships in life. Sometimes trust requires that you don't see certain things or that if you see them, that you're able to deprecate their importance in your life. I have a reason to not trust every single person that I know in this life. I have a reason not to trust all of you. Like, you know, like I, I, to everybody in this ministry, if you've been, we've been together for a while, like, come on, you know my problems, I know your problems. I have a reason to not trust every single one of you. And you have a reason not to trust me, probably. If you probably see me angry or upset or, you know, make a bad decision or get frustrated. I mean, Lily sees me get frustrated, like, all the time. Sometimes I get frustrated, I just tell Lily, I'm like, Lily, this person's not doing their job. <laughs> you know? And then Lily's like, they're there. I mean, not, not in those words, but essentially, like, <laughs> they're there. It'll be okay. Um, like, no, you have a reason not to trust every single person. If, if you, and if you choose to elevate that reason above your trust, then every relationship of yours will be destroyed. And you don't realize that, like, you're now exercising your will in such a way that you're not using, that it's not the three-legged stool, it's not the three-stranded cord that God has created for you to have. It's just one, and it's reason. 
And you don't realize this, but your mind can be bent in every which way. The devil is so much smarter than you. No idea. He's so much smarter than you, so much more persuasive, so much better at reasoning, seems so much more attractive. He's just better than you at just about everything except trusting God. And sometimes, honestly, like the devil comes to you and... And the only thing you could be like, devil, you're absolutely and completely correct, but I trust the Lord. And the devil says, you are a fool. Your grades are terrible. You are so lazy. You're so stupid. You never have any good ideas. <laughs> you can't do this. And you're like, you know, you're so unhealthy. You're just going to get sick. You can't work those hours. Your body can't do it. You don't have enough money. Your family's not behind you. Don't you know this is illegal? Like, you know, there's like, everything is like come against you. And you're like, devil, you're completely correct. But I don't trust in horses or chariots. I trust in the name of the Lord, my God. I stand before him. I call upon his name. And I choose to will myself to trust him rather than to trust what my mind can come up with, this small little thing. It doesn't understand. Squat. But we like to think that it does, don't we? Don't we? If you don't trust anyone else, you trust yourself. And the devil loves to take advantage of people that trust themselves. He says, no, 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 don't trust anything. They just so it's, everything's about reason. What do I see? What do I feel? What do I think? What do I believe? How does this fit with my doctrine? It's one of the most profoundly stupid things in Christianity. It, it, is a, a, it is an absolute... Some people are like, you know, you can't trust the experience. You've got to trust the word. Well, they don't mean trust the word. They mean trust their interpretation of the word which is like about as fallible as fallible. I mean, that thing, you just push on it. And like, I, it's not meant to be a criticism of biblical scholarship because I've, I, there are plenty of people that do incredible work. I read, you know, I, I, get, I benefit from commentaries like all the time. But sometimes I'm like looking at a verse like, I don't understand this. If you're like, have, have, have to, I'm like, you look at a verse, I don't understand this. So I, so I open the best commentaries that are available, you know, in evangelical Christianity. They have nothing to say. They skip over it. They don't even pretend to have anything to say. And they're like, we're just going to come on these three verses at the same time. They come in on verse three, they, the one, they skip two and three, and they go into this. They don't even, they don't even acknowledge that they've skipped the most important thing in their verse. like, they don't have anything to say about it. Because it doesn't make any sense to them. And that's fine. We just have to be honest about that. We can't say it's a verse-by-verse commentary. We explain everything in the entire book. <laughs> no, you don't. You skip over all the things that you don't know. Be honest about it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's obvious what it means. If it were so obvious, why don't you tell me? Because it's not obvious. And because sometimes God just doesn't, uh, you, you've, I'm surely this has happened to you before, right? Like you read something in the Bible, for instance, you don't understand it, but then like you read it again five years later, you're like, well, duh, like that's what God meant. Um, and can you imagine if when you didn't understand it, you looked at yourself and said, God didn't mean that, that's not in the Bible. I'm just going to take my white out. And, <laughs> you know, this must be a mistranslation. This must be a mistranslation. I, it's, it's incredible. It's stupid. There's plenty of verses in the Bible where scholars are like, oh, this must be a mistranslation. I'm just going like, to pretend like it doesn't exist. They put it in brackets and they put it in the footnote and then they just get rid of it in the entire Bible altogether. Does that ever happen? Your favorite verse when you're, like, for instance, when Jesus says, you know, this kind will not come out by anything but prayer and fasting. Do, they, <laughs> the, 
And then they conclude that fasting is not in the original language. And then so they first they put fasting in brackets. Then they put fasting in the footnotes. And now in the latest versions, fasting is just out altogether. So then it just says this comes out by nothing but prayer. But the problem is that's not what Jesus meant. He meant prayer and fasting. And everybody in deliverance ministry will tell you that. You want to go into a serious battle? It's not enough for you to pray. You better fast. Otherwise, you're screwed. Like, um, it's just, and, and just like, well, we don't understand the power of fasting. The Bible doesn't tell us to fast. We must not need to fast. It must have been, you know, a later addition. So you put it in and then you take it out and then you just move it out altogether. You need to trust God rather than what you understand. And you have to learn to trust God and you got to learn how to trust people. You need to know who to trust. Don't trust everyone. Hello. Don't trust the king of Syria. Do not trust everyone, but you need to know who to trust. Jehoshaphat was a great king, except for one thing. He trusted Ahab. It was essentially the only wrong thing that he did in his entire life. He went up with Ahab into battle, remember, at Ramoth Gilead, and he almost died there. Why? Because God did not tell him to go, and he trusted the wrong person. So I'm not telling you to trust everyone. I'm telling you to know who to trust. And more importantly, to be able to trust God. It requires an opening of your hearts and also requires that you intentionally, intentionally manage this in your heart. You, there, hopefully, there's a table, not a spreadsheet, but like a, a database in your heart, in your, in your soul, that where you know this person's this much trust, that person's that much trust, this person's this much trust, that person's that much trust. Like, like hopefully you, you have those judgments. And if everybody has no trust, and me, I trust myself, you know, and everybody else, no trust, no trust, no trust, no trust. Critical, 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 critical. You're a bad father. You're a bad friend. You're a bad this. You betrayed me here. You let me down. You didn't smile at me. I don't trust any of you. Uh, okay, then you're totally lost in life. Because that's not the way that God has created you to function. Does that make any sense? You don't have any foundations. You got to go rebuild those foundations. Otherwise, you can't, you're not going to make it anywhere in life. This is how it is. There are plenty of people that don't trust their own husband and wife. Your marriage ain't going to work. So you either like, learn to trust them or separate. That, that, that's a marriage that is not going to work. You know, they're always suspicious of your husband. Oh, maybe he's watching porn again. Like, it, it, you, you, that, relationships of that sort don't work. You have to be able to trust sinners, which means that you have to give people room that even if they mess up, you learn to build that back again. Not immediately, but you learn how to build that back up. So, okay, like there's no relationship that's going to work. Like you have to do this right, but you have to open yourself up to it. All right. I want to say just two words about your desires. And then, you know, because this is really important. There are some people that will tell you all desires are of the flesh. Nonsense. Nonsense. In order for you to be unique, it's actually important that you have unique desires that are yours. Do you know? Okay. And these desires cannot be desires based on reason, which means that you cannot always be acting out of reason. Sometimes, you just have to do something because you consider it to be beautiful even though other people do not. That you consider it to be glorious. That you consider it to be worthwhile even though other people do not. You cannot always buy the cheapest thing, the most economical thing. Do you know? There's, there, has, has you, um, have you ever met someone where you like, admire, for instance, the way they dress? They do not always buy the cheapest thing. It's impossible. Like, they didn't get everything they, they own at Zara for instance. I'm not just picking on Zara for fun. But like they just, th that didn't happen. Do you know? Like they actually have preferences and sometimes they'll say, well, this isn't actually worth $50, but because it's, I think it's beautiful, I'm going to pay $50. Like that sort of thing needs to be able to happen 
to you in life. Like those sort of judgment calls, they need to be able to happen to you. You have to be able to appreciate beauty. Beauty is something that you desire, that you prefer. Like in, in a grand sense, not in like physical, but it's something that you desire, something that you prefer, and it's something that is unique to you. You know, when people say, you know, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, yeah, it is, like in a certain sense. But And you should be able to behold things that you consider to be beautiful. It, it's, it's, a, it's the sort of thing where it's okay to express your desires, not be driven by them. Remember three-legged stool? Like, not be driven by them, not like everything I want, I have to have. Not that. But you should be awake and alive to the things that you desire because it's not evil. It's not always like, you go to the grocery store and you're like, you know, I want beef, but pork is cheaper, so we get pork. Well, some people just like beef. <laughs> you know? Some people just like beef. And some people just like salmon, Eliza, you know? And I mean, she's like, well, do you want trout? No. Do you want cod? No. Do you want like, well, what do you, we just want salmon. And it's unreasonable because I can never get a sashimi platter because she just wants to eat the salmon, she, the, the, the orange thing, you know? And she just wants to eat that. She doesn't want the scallop. Well, she likes scallops too. And oysters, such a fancy young lady. She doesn't like flu. She doesn't like yellowtail. She doesn't like, she just wants salmon. And you could, you could be like, Liza, no, you got to eat some of everything. And there is that balance in parenting too. But even from the time that she's little, we want, I want her to have desires. I want that to be part of the three-stranded cord of the way that her will is exercised in life. I don't want to tell her that you can't have everything blue. You have to have some purple. She doesn't, maybe she doesn't like purple. And that's okay. And it's okay for you too. But you need to manage like all three of these things. If you don't have desires in life, or if you squash all your desires in life under the, the value of you know, being economical, uh, that's not actually the will of God for you. Heaven is not about the cheapest stuff all the time. In heaven, God's not like, let's get the cheapest thing for everybody. You know, I'm like this is cheap, so let's get that. Like it, it's not, that's not God's will for you either. And in order for you to to, to, to function correctly as a human for your will to express the fullness of what God desires for it to be, you need all three. Number one, the most important, the highest and most important value of yours actually should be your ability to trust primarily God, but also others. Number two, you need to have things that you consider to be beautiful and be willing to express your will in order to attain that beauty. And number three, and the bottom like, honestly, it's the last thing that you get. It's something that you, most of you, you probably didn't develop fully until you were an adult, honestly. Like, it's, it's the last because it's so unimportant. It's like, just toss the end. You know, I don't know if God was ever going to let them eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't say that God was, I mean, he made the tree, but I don't know if he was ever going to let them eat there. Maybe he was. Maybe when Adam was like 800 years old, God was like, hey, by the way, there's one other tree. You know, you should see how it tastes. You know, see if, you know, what, what it does to you. You might enjoy it. It's a good thing. I created this tree too. I don't know if God was ever going to let them do that. But in any case, in normal human development, that doesn't happen until very late. Why? Because it's, it's the last thing. It fills the gaps in the others. It, it, it adjusts for clearly irrational things. It's a safety guard. You know, it keeps you safe from like totally stupid things. It, it keeps you safe from deception in certain cases. It keeps you safe from lies. It, keeps you, it gives you an ability to, to make judgments and, and, and things like that. It's not important. It's just, you know, it's just the filler, you know, after you do the other two things really, really well. There are some people in this room, Emily, why don't you come back up um, with the team and um, let you start playing here. We're going to go into a little bit of prayer time. There are some in this room and in every room that you've ever been a part of that have just not developed their will correctly. I'm telling you, if you will allow your will to prosper and to grow in a healthy way, this will become such a powerful thing in your life. It will propel you to the place that God wants you to be. 
but you need all these ingredients and you need them working together properly. Make sense? All right. Great. So I want us to just spend some time praying together today. You guys can stand. Um, we're just going to let the band start to play. And uh, I just want to pray. I just want to ask you to really get with God. The devil works very hard to destroy trust in every community. And he tell you that you don't trust some people because they're male or because they're female, because they're old or because they're young, because they're black or because they're white. That you don't trust some people because of their opinions. That you don't trust some people because of you know, the time they didn't smile at you. That you don't trust people because they made a mistake. That you don't trust people because you don't agree with them. That you don't trust people because they're, they're, they're dumber than you. Those are all flaws. And, and, and every single one of those things is a vice the enemy uses to destroy the way that God has created you and to compromise, to slow you down, to hinder you from realizing the accelerated power of aligning your will to God's will. So this morning as we're here, I want to ask that you would just open your hearts and let the Lord show you any area of brokenness that is inside. Ladies, there may be some of you that you don't trust men. You don't like giving hugs, you don't like to be close, you don't like to share, you don't like to, because you just, just all men are perverts or all men are, and God really needs to fix that in you and heal that. And you may be right that you know all men are sinners, but it's still not the right attitude to have. It's still a brokenness inside of you. Gentlemen, the same for the other gender. If you're black and you don't trust white people, or you're white and you don't trust black people, or brown people, or whatever it is, these are schemes and devices of the devil. There's some of us that don't trust ministry leaders because all religion is just dark and corrupt and it's all bad. I just want to ask that you get honest and ask God to just reveal these things to you, illuminate them, and help you be free in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would come into this room right now and touch every single person that's here. Father, there's none of us that can restore foundations. Only you can restore the foundations inside of us. And we need you to do it, oh God, because we don't want to go through life weakened by being totally crippled in certain areas of our soul that you've created for us to be alive and strong in. Jesus, we break off every spirit that creates tension, division, grumbling, strife in the name of Jesus. 
every spirit that comes before different, between different races, different genders, different types of people, different personalities, different gifts. In the name of Jesus, be broken in Jesus' name. We take authority and bind every demonic work in this church that is separating and hindering people from the fullness of God's will for their lives. In Jesus' name, we see you, you foul spirits, and command you out now of this church in Jesus' name. 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 Holy Spirit, only you can rebuild fallen foundations. Only you can redeem and restore that which has been destroyed, that which has been torn down, that which never grew in us because we never valued it and never wanted it, because we wanted to be independent, because we wanted to be free, because we hated the people around us and didn't trust them. And Father, I just pray that you restore those foundations now in this season, in this church, in the name of Jesus. Um, every child that is an orphan, Father, I pray that you would bring them into a family. And I pray that you would bring them into relationships of, of dependency, relationships of, of godly dependency, of godly trust, of godly reliance in the name of Jesus. We pray for open hearts. We pray for open minds. In Jesus' name. And we speak freedom over our people. Freedom, God, from every closed heart, from every closed mind in the name of Jesus. Freedom from self-defense and from the need to be self-justifying or self-excusing in Jesus' name. Freedom from the desire to flee. Freedom from rejection. Freedom from, from destroyed self-images. Freedom from insecurity. Freedom from fear. Freedom from all these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you for the authority that is available in your blood, O Lord. And we plead it over ourselves and over our church and over our families in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I just want to ask right now that you would speak to every single person that's here and every area of their life that experiences brokenness in this. God, I, I pray, Lord, that you reveal it to them and cause them to be open to it now in Jesus' name. Cause them to be open and not blind, not blind, not willfully blind in the name of Jesus, but be open in Jesus' name and humble in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, that we would bow down before you in our hearts and be desperate, God, to be free of these things that separate us, God, from the will and the desire that you have for us. Father, we break off over us the things that cause us to be failures, to be poor, to be confused, to be muddled, to be broken, to be, to be destitute, to be wandering around and realize that this is the curse of the enemy. It is not your will for us. And Father, I pray that you restore to every single person a healthy willpower, a healthy ability to focus and concentrate their will to accomplish the things that you've given to them to accomplish. A will that is able to open doors. A will that is able to, to push your kingdom forward. A will that is able to bring light in the midst of darkness. A will that is able to overcome strongholds and oppression 
in the name of Jesus, a will that is able to break strongholds, a will that is able to resist the devil and all of his schemes and all of his ploys and all of his weapons in Jesus' name, a will that is able to stop bullets in midair in Jesus' name, a will that is able to place our faith and our trust in the power of the Lord Most High, the Lord that wins wars, the Lord that raises kingdoms and topples them, the Lord that is seated high above all every, everything else. In your name we trust, Lord, not in chariots, not in horses, but in your name we trust, O oh Lord. And we call upon you now in Jesus' name.